Hello and welcome back to GACSC Podcast. Uh, thank you all again for the support on the last episode. If you haven't watched it, go check it out. It's another one of uh, Wazza's good mates and uh, ex-player at North Lee, uh, the big club there. I think we may have a bit of a upcoming collaboration in some sort with them in a few weeks, so watch out for that. Um, but again, back with another guest this week. And as last week, I'm not going to be doing a lot much more talking, so I'll pass it over to the co-host Warren and I'll let him introduce. Evening, guys. How are we? Um, as we got well, one of our special guests for today, uh, Rob Panton, aka Nobsy, a man of many talents, a comedian, <laughs> cricketer, footballer, and all good guy. <laughs> Very kind of you, Warren. Hi, Charlie. How are you doing, gents? All right, not bad. Not bad yourself. Excellent. Yeah, all good. All good. Right. We'll start with your ultimate six aside, including yourself. Yeah, I've made I've made room um, <laughs> in the team for me. Um, so I've gone. I've based it on Premier League. They've had to have played in the Premier League. Okay. Um, and I've tried to go across all, all eras. Obviously, I'm the exception when it comes to <laughs> not playing in the Premier League. Winning District Premier League, but <laughs> not, not early EPL. Um, so in goal, I've gone for Edison. I don't think there's anyone better that I've seen with the ball at his feet. Yeah. I'll play at the back. So formation is 1-3-1. One, one. Um not including the goalkeeper. So Edison in goal. I'll try and start the play at the at the back. Three midfielders, hopefully you'll you'll all appreciate. Um JJ Akocha. No. Yeah. Paul Scholes. Yeah. And here's here's a city player, but a city player that I don't think you would probably automatically think of. Georgie King Clancy from the from the mid-90s. Hopefully. Some of you will remember him. If you don't, Google it. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably way hard, Charlie. <laughs> uh, well, no, yeah, hopefully there's some film that still exists of him playing. But yeah, Georgie King Clancy. And then up front, I've gone for uh, Matt Letizia. Yeah, there he was, yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, try and get the ball off of those. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing yourself? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm the weak link. <laughs> right, um, I was speaking to one of your friends, Stu, trying to get a bit more information about you today, about your playing career. I thought you might. Uh, I started off at Clanfield as youth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I guess probably like most players, um, you know, you've got aspirations that you can play to a decent level um i guess for me and actually my best man uh triggy richard triggy warren will know as well um at my wedding referred to my sporting career sort of ending when i was about 15 um <laughs> I, I i played um so yeah i played at played at clanfield um in their in their youth team up until what 15 or, or 16 um before that um I guess I was reasonably successful. I played in the uh, Whitney and District rep team for several age groups, captain of the team um, up until the age of 15, 16. Um, I mean, never really thought I would go much beyond uh, Hellenic League. Had a couple of games for Clanfield Reserve Team, which they had back then. So that's how long, how long ago it was. Um, and then beyond that, never really 
sort of progressed, um, I guess, at school as well. Um, the Bartholomew School of Engine played in the in the first 11, I think, uh, most schools first 11, a year 11, year 12, year 13. I think there was a couple of year 11s, maybe me, Triggy and uh, Simon Hull from year 11. I think we played in the in the first team from memory with the only year 11s that got in the in the side. Um, so I, was, I, I think I was a good footballer, probably between the age of 12 and 16, and then didn't really improve at all, got slower and slower. Played, played at Freeland um, for, what, the next 15 years, till I was about 32, and stopped playing when I was 32 to, to take up uh, refereeing. If you um, missed a club out there, because I got told that you played for Encham as well, which I never oh, I did. I play for Encham. Sorry, yes, I did play for Encham. Yeah, I had a season at Encham uh, under 16s, so the last year of um, youth team football. Um, so played played at Encham then, uh, and then straight into uh, into playing for for Freeland. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's any other clubs in there as well. Tower, Tower Hill became Cranfield. So I played at Tower Hill for, for a season as well. Uh, and then, whatever it was, three seasons at, at Clanfield. Um, probably if most people watch me play, um, I'm not very quick at all. So if I'm up against any pacey striker, I'm screwed, basically. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I used to, um, in fact, I was going to try and bring it along, a screenshot from a cup final um, that we had for Clanfield. And, you know, you have the player profiles in there and it describes, you know, what you are as a, as a player. It had uh, Rob Panting likes to play creative football, um, <laughs> which I always thought was quite, um, you know, that's how I like to sort of play football. Anyone can lump the ball forward. Um, you know, I like to see good players across the pitch and that includes, you know, those playing in, in defence as well. So I've always quite liked, you know, Rio Ferdinand, PK, um, obviously John Stones. It's really good to see him coming back in some good form now. Um, you know, good good players on the ball. I mean, even to be honest, you're an Arsenal fan, aren't you, Charlie? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it, not. I, I don't think he's necessarily the greatest defender of all time. But I've always quite liked David Luiz as well. I think he tries to play football in the right the yeah, right way. That sort of what you say is a ball playing centre back. He's got the ability to play with his feet as well. Um, I think, like you mentioned there, John Stones is one I think a lot of people do say is sort of the modern day ball playing centre back, sort of looking like PK. But I think with David Luiz, he's always one that he doesn't have the defensive ability to do it. And that's the biggest problem for him. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's what's been really good with John Stones recently that he's matched his ability on the ball with. 100% a much better way of defending, which, you know, obviously we'd seen a couple of times with England, just some real horrific mistakes that, that he made. And he seems to have cut those out. I think Diaz obviously coming into the city teams really helped him. And, and, you know, I think even Edison has said, um, you know, actually he really enjoys playing with, with John Stones and he's, he's pleased that, you know, he's effectively become Pep's probably one of the first names on his team sheet now, which is, um, which is great. But yeah, I'm not trying to align myself with someone of John Stones' ability. I'd love to be able to play like um, John Stones, but 
yeah, it, it always, I always like to see players on the ball that are at the back and they're looking to, you know, play a good positive ball into, into midfield. You know, those are the types of players that I, I enjoy watching. All right. Yeah, but if, like you were saying about John Stones, that be that must be hard now with the likes of obviously Diaz and Laporte. Hard to get into that squad. That obviously with Pep, that must be well hard to even think about who's going to be starting out of those three. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I'm I'm one of those people that think if if you're playing well, you should you deserve to stay in, in the team. Now, obviously, in the way that football works now, it's very rare that you see, you know, the same 11 going from game to game. I think City have, have got three really good defenders now that they can alternate and um, set up as they see fit going into a particular game. Um, and even, you know, I don't think he's necessarily... a a standout defender, but a defender can do a really good job. They've still got Nathan Ake in their squad and, mm. you know, he's barely appeared, I think, in... I don't know if he's been injured or, um, you know, but he's barely appeared anyway. I can't see him necessarily getting back into that squad, into that um, starting eleven anytime soon. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess to cover that point, Pep does a really good job in keeping his squad happy, which I think is a skill in itself. Yeah. I think it's also like what you're saying there with Laporte. I don't know if you saw the game yesterday, but even I think Gary Neville was to touch on it. He's sort of saying that Laporte had all the hype of this player that was going to become arguably one of the best at the backs in the world, but his form sort of dropped off a little bit. And John Stones has kicked on massively this year um, to sort of become the man that Pep likes. Like I said, that ball playing centre back. Pep always wanted that. Um, and I think with uh, Ruben Diaz coming in, He's one of the best centre-backs I've seen in a long time for his age. Next to him, sort of, his partners it so well. Yeah, I mean, they just don't... I mean, my fancy football team, um, I've got Edison in goal, I've got Stones, and I've... Um, uh, no, I haven't got Diaz, I've got Sterling in there because, you know, he's been playing very well. But, I mean, the points that Stones and Edison have been... Racking up. Bringing into my team, which has been ridiculous the last few weeks. But yeah, you're, you're right, Charlie. I think that the last few games in particular, they just don't even look like conceding chances, let alone goals. No. Um, it's it's one of them. I think I was saying to Warren before yesterday, I think if we had the, I would say, confidence to go at them yesterday, I think with Saka, we could have done something. Um, but the score confidence at the moment is so low, we didn't trouble them at all until about the 70th minute when we actually got a bit of confidence on the ball. Yeah, I, I've got a, a mate that I, that I work with who's a, an Arsenal fan. And I was saying to him today, actually, I, the last few weeks, I've been, I've been encouraged if, I'm, if I followed Arsenal. Mm. Um, you can see you know, some good young players in there, Saka, Tierney, Smith-Rowe. Um, I mean, even I was saying you know, Willock at Newcastle at the moment, you know, he's actually put in some good performances and hopefully if he can continue that, um, you know, he's going to force his way into Arteta's thoughts next season. So I, I think, you know, Arsenal aren't going to suddenly appear as, I hate to break it to you, Charlie, but I don't think they're going <laughs> to appear as, um, um, you know, title contenders for the next couple of seasons. But, you know, I think they've, they've they're certainly 
moving in the right direction, I feel, you know, and I, I, that's probably not a popular view with, it, with Arsenal fans, but <laughs> objectively, I think so. Plenty. I think it's one of them that I was saying to you before, I think yesterday sort of summed it up that, yes, we're going forward, but the confidence isn't there. Um, I think Arteta has got us playing better defensively. Um, but yesterday there was chances from about the 20th minute when we actually started getting the ball. That's when we should have been pressing them. But we literally seemed to be happy just sort of getting that possession for a bit of a respite from their onslaught of going at us. Um, and I think that's the difference. I think over time it will come. Um, like you said, we're three, four, potentially five years away from challenging for anything like the league yet. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, completely agree. Right. Um, I suppose, obviously, at the end of your career, I did hear another story. It was a, a, a naughty word used in it. <laughs> about right. uh, You were said to a referee because you went down injured and you, <laughs> you said uh, something about sociable and you, after like, yeah. had a red card. Yeah, I, so that, that was... Uh, that was for Freeland over at um, who are we playing? It was either West Whitney. It was at West Whitney Sports Ground. Um, so it was either against West Whitney or FC Mills, one of the one of the Whitney teams. And um, yeah, actually, it's, we'll probably come on to it later when it comes to refereeing. But um, they had a stand-in ref that game, so it wasn't an official ref. It was one of their club members refereeing, and um, I, I I got injured and I was sort of like five or ten yards inside the, the pitch and um, it was quite a, quite a bad sort of cut to my leg it was it wasn't a very nice challenge um, and basically the, re- the referee was asking me to roll off the pitch and I was saying to him look at my leg you know I'm not I'm mm. not making a big deal out of it and um, I can't remember what he said I said something to him and he said something um, like, that's not not particularly sociable comment. And I said, well, here's a sociable comment for you. And I think I told him to F off. And um, <laughs> he sent me off and I rolled off the pitch. <laughs> um, I rolled off injured and sent off as well. Um, that was the only time I was sent off. I was probably booked maybe, what, seven or eight times in... 14, 15 years of playing men's football. I was never one really to moan massively at, at refs or, you know, get into fights on the pitch or anything like that. I, I'm one of these people that, you know, turn up to enjoy playing football. And actually, you know, if, you, if you're playing against a team that aren't interested in playing football, then I'm not interested in playing against a team like that. Um, you know, so so actually, yeah, like, like anyone, I, I used to moan at, a little bit of refereeing decisions and, um, you know, not always agree with them, but very rarely did it, did it get to that level where it turned into sort of dissent or foul abusive language. It was always like a, a silly little comment, probably on a couple of occasions. And then my other yellow cards were a couple of fouls or, you know, the usual things that you get. So, um, Going on to you currently uh, becoming a ref, that must be quite a hard thing of, as of, like normally, um, players hating refs to becoming one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, enough people dislike me, Warren, to see why I wanted to become a ref, you know, but um, 
No, I, I stopped playing. So, so like I said, I played 14, 15 years at, at, at Freeland, um, won a few leagues, won a cup, got to a couple of cup finals. Um, so I had a, you know, I, I enjoyed playing. One thing that used to really frustrate me when I first started playing men's football was, and new guys would, would see this as well, when you've got like 40-year-old blokes just like taking up a place in a team and you've got like a 16, 17-year-old player just like getting 10, 15 minutes at the end. And, you know, given that the vast majority of football that I've played has been village football, you know, I, I, I don't really agree with that. And I didn't want to be one of those players that carried on playing until I was like 40 and stopped young people coming in. Yeah. Um, and, and I was having a few issues with, with my back as well. Um, so, I, you know, I play on a Saturday and Sunday. I literally couldn't get out of bed at all. It, 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 you know, I was having real problems with it. So I thought, well, let's just take a break and, you know, just give up football. I play cricket in the summer, as you, as you know, Warren. Um, yeah. But um, I just thought, no, let's, let's, let's stop playing football. But, you know, I was always quite intrigued about what refereeing what refereeing would be like um and i thought well I, I know quite a lot of the players in the whitney district having played you know 15 years in the whitney district and a bit in the in the senior league as well and i thought you know i get on with most people let's give it a go and see what see what happens and actually see how far it it, it takes me so um yeah I, I thought no let's let's give it a go the worst thing that i find are those players that will constantly moan at refs, but then perhaps not when they stop playing, they're not willing to run the line or, you know, have a go at refereeing themselves. So I thought, no, I'll, 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 I'll give it a go. How have you found it such as, uh, obviously, well, we all know how, how well loved you are around this area. Everyone knows you. Do you, uh, do you find that you find you get a uh, more respect on the pitch being a ref uh, of that? Yeah, I, without sounding big-headed, I, probably. Um, I guess just as a, a disclosure, my sort of back issues, I've, I've not refereed for the last year, but with COVID anyway, I've not, because of that, I've not missed many games. So I've not registered for the current season, taking a bit of a year out, but... Um, I refereed what four or five seasons before then, um, and and I do think knowing players puts you in a in a good position as a as a referee. Um, I think having played at that level, you sort of understand how a game should be refereed. So you know you're not refereeing in the Premier League or the Championship. So there are going to be the occasional there'll be the occasional bad challenge going in. Um, You've just got to manage the game how how you feel it should be managed to keep the flow of the game going. Um, and I think that coupled with me knowing quite a few of the, the lads that I refereed um, probably did put me in a stronger position. Um, I you, You've noticed those referees that come in that either haven't played... Um, perhaps taking it up for the first time having or not knowing people that they are refereeing they find it really difficult to build a relationship with players during a game so I think you're right you're right Warren I think it it does it, it I, I felt more 
I felt comfortable going into my first few games refereeing, knowing that I knew if, quite a few of the lads that I'd be refereeing. Yeah, because uh, it's, it's great on that. Like, I think it was probably maybe three, four years ago, there was a, Bam, a Banbury League referee that must have done something wrong and he must have got relegated to the Whitney District. Northly A, go out on the pitch, one of our strikers, strike Craig Horn, before the game, goes for a wee behind a tree, and the ref um, already trying to get a card out to send him off the game and it started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, and actually, when you do the, the referees course, so if you want to become a referee, um, all the local FAs run these two-day, I think they're three-day courses. It starts on a Friday night, you go on a Saturday and a Sunday, you then have to do five games that you're um, you're assessed on a couple of games, I think, from, from memory. But um, essentially, you go in for this, you learn the basic rules of the game, um, laws of the game. Sorry, that's one thing. They're not rules, they're, oh. they're laws. And I pick it up every time I watch Rio Ferdinand <laughs> say rules on BT Sport every time he says it. Um, I'm not tweeting yet to tell him. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think um, uh, that's the first thing that the referees um, or the referee tutors say to you is don't create a situation for yourself. So yeah. particularly at local football where, yeah, there might be, you know, someone walking on the pitch having a, you know, smoking a, 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 a cigarette and, you know, someone nipping behind a tree to, you know, have a have a quick wee and yeah, all, all this stuff, just don't get involved in it because you, you're only going to create a situation for yourself. Um, and and the, the tutors say to you as well, don't blow the whistle if players aren't expecting you to blow a whistle, i.e. don't see something that hasn't been seen by other players. So, you know, little shirt pulls and stuff that no one is going up for. Don't draw attention to yourself by constantly pulling players up on that. So those are the first things that they say to you. Try and referee with an element of common sense, which I think is fine for lower league football, village football, probably going up into sort of Hellenic and Southern League. But obviously, once you start to move into professional football and you've got cameras in place, it's something I'll come on to later, I guess. The common sense has gone completely out of the window when it comes to Premier League refereeing and Championship refereeing in my eyes where VARs in place because they just they're, they're they're refereeing too closely to the um letter of the law and there's no wriggle room for for common sense whatsoever the prime example being the, the Mike Dean incident a couple of weeks ago which I I know you boys have discussed you know and, favorite referee of all Mike for Kindy <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I mean I Obviously, what's happened to him since, you know, is deplorable, you know. Yeah. Um, but he does draw attention upon himself. And, you know, that incident at Fulham the other week, no one was, you know, it, it was a shame, actually, because I think the the, uh, the the guy, was it Lee Mason that was VAR for that game, I think? Um, I said it, I can't remember who it was the other night now. I think it was, because I think he was the one also involved in both incidents that sort of got pulled up. He was VAR for both of them. Yeah. But one, and that's the problem. I think once you, you, you bring a referee to the screen, you're almost inviting the referee to perhaps see something that hasn't actually happened. 
and Mike Dean should have just ignored it and and said no you know it's clearly an accidental elbow that's happened here and it would have been it would have just passed over without any problem whatsoever yeah um so yeah I mean that's one of the first things that you're told as a referee particularly at local level it's just referee with common sense and actually it shouldn't take you too far too far away from or it shouldn't be you shouldn't take you too far wrong from what how you should referee a match it's interesting what you're saying now, you don't draw attention, because I don't know if you guys saw the other night, was it Darren Drysdale? I think it was the Ipswich game. Yeah. Um, as a prime example of him, I don't know if you saw it, Warren, but um, that it was Ipswich and he sort of squared up to the player towards oh. the end of the game. Um, and it's, I think he's now been suspended because of it. But I said, is, is that a matter of where the player has clearly got in his head that much? It's... Yeah. That's, they, I think they would, um, it was either on Talksport or on the podcast. They were saying that um, you know clearly that, like you say, Charlie, something had happened prior to. Yeah, and to that. what I'm saying is, for referees at that level, it's not often I've seen any of them sort of come to that point where he he lost it completely. Uh, yeah, Alan Judge. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you're right. I think um, yeah, Alan Judge, the player, obviously he. Something had happened prior to that incident yeah. happening, um, and and I my guess is that you know he'd been on at the referee all game, and uh, Drysdale the refs obviously just lost it momentarily. You know, um, part of me looked at that and thought, you know, actually good for you for standing up yeah. to, to a player that's clearly just been, you know biting all game you know and and you've you've stood strong and you've you've not addressed the issue how you should have done but actually you made it quite clear who the um who the boss is in in the game you know which i don't think is a bad thing but you know particularly at professional level you can't you can't act like that you know it's unfortunate it really was it must be like a, like when with every cigarette whatever level it must be hard day in, day out, every week is to get slaughtered by players by giving them jip all the time. I think that's the main thing that you have to deal with as a ref. Um, the one thing that I'd like to think that I'm quite good at is speaking to the players, but there is a fine line. So it used to frustrate me when um, there are a couple of refs that are on the circuit that love to just talk to players all game. And it's like, oh, come on, mate, just, you know, you're here to referee the game. You're not here to talk to us. Um, but I, there is there is a good point that a lot of players make where so long as you explain a decision and you do it honestly, then actually most of the players on the pitch are actually on your side. Yeah. So, for example, what I, what I would tend to say, if there was a, you know, a free kick or... Uh, you know, a penalty that I've given and I had a couple of players come and approach me, I'm, and they would say, oh, ref, you know, that's, you know, really, well, obviously I'd say a lot more firmly <laughs> than this, but, you know, bad decision, you know, you've got it wrong. And I would say to them, well, I may have got it wrong, but from the position that I've seen the foul, I think it's a free kick or I think it's a penalty. And actually most players go, yeah, all right, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. You know, and so long as you say I'm, I'm trying to make a decision to the best of my ability and an honest decision, 
most players will accept that. There are exceptions, obviously, where you've got players that are just not interested and they're there to cause you trouble and they'll keep on at you for 90 minutes. Um, but the vast majority of players, I think, if you say to them that it's, I'm trying to make an honest decision here, I, I get one, one look at it. I'm seeing it at a different angle from the 22 players on the, on the pitch. Um, most, most players are actually quite reasonable when it comes to that. Um, the other thing which is very good from a local football point of view is um, if you do go into a game and it's, it becomes apparently it's quite an edgy game and you know a couple of bad tackles going in there. As if you're refereeing on a park where, again, you know it is the 22 players and a few spectators and you know the, the odd dog walker coming through, you have got an opportunity to sort of stamp your authority. Uh, and by that I mean, if there's a, a foul early on, a foul early on in the game, you don't necessarily have to go and caution the player, but you use your, your voice in a way that um, leaves it in no doubt that you're informing a player, and not just the player, but all of the players on the pitch, that you're unhappy with a particular tackle because you know you're so audible across across the the field that players suddenly think, oh yeah, actually no, we can't get away with that. The referee's made it quite clear that that's his approach during the game. So I I I'd probably referee what, 120, 150 games across sort of kids level, men's football, um, a little bit in the senior league and I've been on the, on the line in Hellenic matches as well. Um, but I've not cautioned, I've, not, I've never sent off a player in 120, 150 games. I've not had to send off a player um, and I've probably not cautioned that many. Maybe I think the most I ever did was three in a game I think uh, and, and you could argue I, you know in some instances I should caution players more but you know you try and referee the game through your communication I yeah. think and I think most players particularly at a local level appreciate that more as opposed to someone turning up and just like you said Warren you know just getting on someone's back even before the game starts it's just not you're not going to position yourself in a in a good way during the game. The things as well, I think, obviously, with this standard we've got around here, with uh, talking to them first, they certainly know you're going to probably do something afterwards. And who wants to go and pay a £16 fine for a yellow card each week? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, that's, um, you know, to, to be honest, gone are the days where, um, you know, referees wouldn't put bookings through. You know, they come into the into the changing room after the game and, you know, it's happened to me on a couple of occasions where I, I got booked and, you know, the, 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 the ref would say, oh, don't worry, I won't put that booking through. Um, you know, most referees are told, no, you put, if you book someone or you send someone off, you you put it through. And, and like you say, Warren, you know, it's, that that can be a, a whatever pound fine it, it is nowadays for a, um, for a booking or, or, or sending off, you know, you're, you're there is a deterrent in there um, and not just deterrents for, you know, financially, but, you know, suspensions as well, you know, they're yeah. there for a reason, but as a referee, I, you know, my, my ambition wasn't to go into a game and just start handing out yellow cards for the sake of it. Um, you know, I, I, I've, 
I try desperately hard when I referee a game not to not to caution people. Sometimes it's it's impossible to do it, but you know, actually, if you're if you're reasonable and the players understand that there's a bit of give and take, then actually they respond to that quite well. Anything else, Charlie? I think that covers most of it. I think we're going to get to a point where, even though you are, we're going to have to say the dreaded VAR word and have a bit of discussion about that because I think <laughs> um, we touched on it a few weeks ago, we'll see, when it was sort of at the high point of obviously with the Mike Dean incident. Um, and I think we can even sort of mention the Liverpool Everton game the other night. Um, yep. And the talking point was obviously the Calvert Lewin penalty, which, in my opinion, I don't think it was. Um, I can see the reason why the ref has given it, um, due to the fact, obviously, the, where was Calvert-Lewin meant to go? Arnold was there on the ground. I can see why he's given it. But, like I think you said, Warren, as a Liverpool fan, you're going to be rather pissed off with that situation. Yeah, <laughs> I've, uh, I've only spoken to Stuart, so I know what knobs he's uh, replied <laughs> to this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh... There are a few things with that. Personally, I'm I'm in favour of VAR. Um, I know, I think probably there's a couple of people, a couple of others on this podcast that perhaps I think you guys would, you can see parts of it which are good, but then you're big fans of maybe referees taking con- more control of the game, and you just agree with the decision if it's if it's given. Oh, yeah. uh, I am a big fan of the way VAR can change the game. I think the problem is, I think we sort of mentioned it a few weeks ago, is that in the UK, or especially the Premier League, we don't seem to be following the way like in UEFA are doing it, where they've seemed to got it down to the T or pinnacle of it, where we seem to be trying to go in this different direction, which isn't working. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that there are elements of VAR that that I would tweak. So one thing that I've not heard, so I'm not going to claim, um, no, I am, I'm going to claim this is an idea from me. Um, and it may have been mentioned elsewhere, but um, I've not seen it sort of published. In cricket, obviously, with, um, and I know cricket's a completely different game, so I, I try to avoid <laughs> you know, lining those two sports together. Um, but with like LBWs in, in cricket, and um, uh, well, it's, it's mainly LBW uh, law. There's often umpires' call that comes into a situation when it comes to if the batsman's hit outside the line or if the ball's just clipping one of the stumps. They'll they'll say that it's umpires' call. Therefore, if the umpire's giving it giving it not out, even though it's hitting the the ball's hitting the stumps, it remains not out. Yeah. I'm amazed with the the offside calls that there's not a margin of error yeah. within the lines that they create. I mean, we're, we're all aware that there's clearly differences between, um, we've not got the technology in place to demonstrate categorically when the ball leaves the player's foot. Yeah. And that, can, that split second can create a difference where the line falls as to whether a player is deemed onside or, or offside. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is introduce, like, I don't know whether it's like a 50 centimetre aspect either way. And if it falls within that 50 centimetre um, sort of boundary, whether onside or offside, you go with the assistant referee's decision. 
And I think it just then, it, it creates some credibility around the, the system. And it also means that there's some integrity in the um, assistant referee's decision as well, because they've just become completely, um, what's the word I'm thinking of, obsolete. You know, they're, they're, they're not in the mm-hmm. game yeah. at all now. I think in that aspect uh, as well, I think it's sort of where that gap is. I think with VAR coming, it's sort of made the advantage go into the defender's hands instead of more of an attacking sense. So sort of having that leeway sort of opens up the game a bit more to have those players, the likes of Vardy, who play so close to that last man. And they, these players who thrive on that little gap that used to be there of getting that marginal bit, that opens that sort of game back up again because there's players like that who can't get away with those split decisions anymore. Having that leeway could make a big difference to that. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it just gives some credibility back to the to the assistant referees as well. Um, because actually, <laughs> I've not got some any stats to back this up. So I'm talking purely from watching all the games at the moment, which is great. Um, that actually, when the assistants do make a decision, they're, they're actually right quite quite a lot of the time um so by adding in that leeway i think it just brings back some further credibility yeah. to them i think the point that you made earlier with with regards to um you know the calvert lewin incident um sorry warren um <laughs> i think that's that's a, a case in point where var remains subjective yeah however you look at it personally it's interesting that you said you didn't think it was a penalty charlie i i i think the initial sort of contact where he's gone over his, his yeah. head and then Trent has lifted his foot up afterwards. That's yeah, it's, it's a hard one. It's, oh, it's, and I think that's why it, it's so hard because obviously I think the more you see it, the more it does look like a penalty. So obviously I can see why everyone's initial reaction was, how was he given that? Because you can arguably say, how was Arnold meant to get out of the way? Um, but then the argument is, why has he gone to ground in the first place? That opens it up there as well. So... It's just one of them, but I think it with the whole VAR subject, it just opened the door that no one's seen our incident. It's just more ground to sort of jump on the bandwagon side of things. Yeah, you, you're right. And I, and I think um, yeah, the other aspect that I've heard mentioned quite a lot is, you know, miking the referees up or referees doing interviews after after games. Um, and I think it's the, like the Australian... Um, yeah. Football league, they, they do it quite often. They mic up the referees, and it's fine because let's be honest, football in Australia is about their fifth most popular sport. You know, the, the, they might have a couple of blokes from the outback waiting for a referee after after a game. You know, they're not going to have a load of hooligans that you know. Unfortunately, our game in England still attracts potentially you know hounding referees, which is not what we. It's, it's not very practical in my opinion that happening in in England um, but you're right when you look at some of the other major European leagues so I watch quite a lot of the German football oh, like um, they, they do it so much better than what we and do this is just that's with me it's like obviously I like watching even though we're not in it anymore the Champions League for me is a massive thing of watching it and it's just that it's like obviously it's the pinnacle of football but you can see for a reason why is the referee in there is substantial. I think the sort of thing is interesting to your thoughts is obviously I was saying last time is we sort of had a golden age of refereeing a good few years ago, obviously when we had the likes of Howard Webb, etc. when 
if you looked at FIFA's list of the elite reps, most of them were English. Um, and you sort of look now, are we sort of trading behind and not bringing through a good crop of reps at the moment? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I've... I, so, so, without boring you with the detail, I, I, I'm um, a level six referee, which basically makes me a senior county referee. You start off at level seven, which is a junior referee. Um, in theory, I could um, I can referee uh, Oxfordshire Senior League. I can be on the line for Hellenic matches and sort of do the fourth official stuff there as well. Um, but primarily, I've refereed in the in the Whitney district. Um, I think the further up you go and you start to meet people that are refereeing in Southern League, um, National League, even on the line of National League, there, there are some really good referees in there that um, quite a decent percentage of referees that have stopped playing at a decent level and have gone into, yeah. into refereeing. Um, and I think those are the guys to, to watch, hopefully, coming through in the next few years. I think... To answer your point, Charlie, in terms of the, the elite referees at the moment, um, I always feel Michael Oliver is a very good um, referee. I think he, he commands good respect. He's quite decisive. The main one that springs to mind with him is the, the Champions League match a couple of seasons ago. Was it PSG and um, Real Madrid where, um, oh dear, who's the goalkeeper? Buffon was in goal from yeah. PSG and he was face to face with. Michael Oliver and Michael Oliver just, you know, set him off <laughs> straight, you know, you know, just didn't put up with any of his, um, you know, clear descent, you know, and I quite admire that in referees to make those decisions in high profile games. But you, you're right. I think probably when you look at Howard Webb, although interestingly, you read his book, I'm sad I do, I've read his book. Um, he's got big regrets about the 2010 World Cup final that he refereed and, was it Van Bommel that did the the, the uh, yeah. yeah you know it should have been a red you, you know there's there's refereeing games sensibly and then there's just decisions that you that you have to make so I think he has big regrets there but again had good authority about him um whereas unfortunately I think a few of the referees now they don't have that element of authority which you know you really do need I think to clean as the obvious one going back a few years where I mean, you know, forget some of the players on the pitch like Roy Keane and, uh, you know, <laughs> Vieira, those that really put themselves about. It's, yes. Kalina would be, the, if he was refereeing the game, Kalina would be the guy that you'd be most <laughs> wary of, you know. Yeah. As we were saying, I'm pretty sure we were saying a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about VAR, another option we thought of is uh, do what the rugby do where you can actually hear what they're talking about for the refs and the TMO. And then I think a lot of supporters would actually have more of an understanding where the referee is coming from. Yeah, I think so. I, um, I, I think, so, so the bit that I was referring to earlier in terms of like micing up the refs during the game and yeah. talking, you, you couldn't do that because, as we all know, players swear, referee swear... <laughs> you know that that's going to be very difficult, but I, I do agree that there's. I think if there's an element of describing the decision and hearing the the conversation that's going on between the on-field referee and VAR, that, 
I don't think that can do any harm, really. Um, because again, going back to what I said earlier about refereeing local football, if you're explaining your decision oh, yeah. to the player and saying, look, you know, this is my view, this is how I've seen it, it might not be a penalty or a free kick, but from the position that I've seen it, I think that it is. And actually, I mean, the, the great thing, obviously, with Premier League is you've got so many different cam camera angles that um, you can hopefully see what happened, you know, 90 time, 99 times out of 100. Um, and I don't think having some supporting, you know, comment from um, the, the, the VAR, it, it, I can't see it being a, a negative at all. And like you say, Warren, it helps players to understand what's what's happening um, yeah. like you say rugby use it cricket use it yeah. when, when there's a, a you know a catch for example if the ball is close between you know the bat and the pad you can hear the umpire talking through the decision saying you know there's a clear spike when the ball passes the bat I'm going to give it out you know so it's the, 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 there's definitely merit in doing it I agree do you think as well with um well, especially in recent weeks, ref uh, the VARs uh, people need to start um, telling the refs to have a proper look at the cameras because even obviously you're saying it was a penalty for the Liverpool game. He literally glanced at it and went straight back over. Yeah, I think he's probably scared of Klopp, to be honest. <laughs> um, wondering what his reaction would be. Um, no, you're right. And and that's that's another little trade secret with referees as well um i don't think you necessarily see it too much at the higher end of football but they want you to sell a decision so your tutor say to you it's important that you sell a decision in a positive way yeah. so you know if you're giving a free kick uh, uh as a referee you can't be sort of hesitantly blowing your whistle or giving a signal you've got to be really firm in pointing to and that and strangely enough, that's one thing that the, I think the one referee that does it very well at Premier League level is Mike Dean. He really does sell a decision, you know, yeah. um, and it's a positive decision. And I think, um, you know, I know, Warren, you go and watch North Lee uh, a lot. Um, at that level, that's where you, you've got the referees that are ambitious and looking to push on into sort of the National League level and then hopefully go into the Football League. And if you've got, I mean, even at North Lee, obviously you're getting, um, what, 100 people watching think, matches there? Got about 150, uh, 100 to 150, I think, they normally get now, which ain't bad. No, the beer's obviously cheap now there. <laughs> <laughs> it's good uh, as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, those referees, you know, you, you want to make a positive decision. And again, you know, at that level, if you've got a, a referee that's really sort of weak in the way that they're giving decisions, spectators pick up on it. And those are the games that then become really difficult for, for referees. You know, you've got to be strong and you've got to really be quite positive in, in the way that you make decisions. Um, and that's something that if you're going into refereeing, you, you you know even if it's an absolute howler of a decision you've got to believe that it's the right decision that you're that you're making because you do earn the respect of of players over the uh, over the longer term 
I think as well, if, if you start questioning yourself, then you're going to make a lot more mistakes and that ain't going to go well for you. Oh, completely. And then there's been games where, you know, I've been hesitant and you, you lose it for the next sort of five or ten minutes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's similar to actually when you play a game. You know, if you have a, a bad touch, which happened, happened often enough <laughs> with me, you know, being a player at the back, you know, you often make a ricky and it costs you a goal. Um, if you go and make a really, if you make a poor decision or you hesitate on a decision, you've then got the players on your back for a period of time. You've got the spectators on your back. Um, so you, you've got to try and make positive decisions from the first minute, you know, whether it's, you know, you're not pulling players up for, you know, needless fouls, but, you know, if, if there's a, a clear foul, really make a positive decision almost go and speak to the player, be really positive and be firm at that point. And actually it puts you in a really good position for the, for the rest of the game. The games where I felt I've not refereed as well as I could have are those games where I've been a little bit hesitant. Mm. I've not stood up to players that have clearly, I mean, there's, there's banter and, you know, I don't mind the, the occasional, you know, F off ref, you, you, you know, you, you do make sure that you, address it but it's not an automatic booking all the time you know if you blow the whistle and you're you're firm actually that gets the message across it's you know there is a line you know the whole sort of if you call a cheat as a ref you know for me that's you know I might be bad I might be incompetent but I'm not cheating you know Mm. and you have to address something like that um but I think yeah for, for those people that I can't imagine that there are too many budding referees at the best of times. But, you know, if you want to go into refereeing, that's my thought that, you know, you've got to be got to be firm in your decision, really sell it if you make a decision. So everyone knows that you're you're making a good, positive decision. And like I said at the outset, you know, don't um, make a decision when a decision is actually not being sought by players, Mm. you know. Like I say, the, the worst games that you see are the ones where referees are making decisions where there's just not a decision to be made. So just don't make one. Yeah. Anything else, Charlie? I think that covers that stuff. Right. Um, on to your beloved. <laughs> are you uh, quite happy with what they've done this season? Yeah, I think so. I think yesterday, um, or the game against... Um, Lesser, it showed how much Villa rely on Grealish. Um, they, I, I mean, I think he would get into most Premier League teams now. Maybe not City. I think he would get into Liverpool side, Warren. I think he would take Grealish now. I think he'd get into Arsenal side, Charlie. Hundred percent. Um, you know, I think, I, I think he's, you know, he's a class player. Um, but my 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 main concern with Villa is. Um, I think the midfield's looking very tired at the moment. McGinn just doesn't look quite at the races at the moment. Um, Barkley was fantastic the first five or six games. Obviously, he had his hamstring injury. and um, I think they were saying his um, availability coincided with with COVID hitting Villa and his rehabilitation hasn't happened. So he's he's still finding his fitness, I think during the games, which isn't ideal at all. Um, Douglas Louise, I think, is a great player, um, but he's looking very tired as well. Um, my worry is that 
I think Villa potentially will lose two or three players in the next year. I think I think eighteen will come in with a massive bid for for Greenish to the to the point where I think it would be impossible for for Villa to say no. Um, I genuinely think that I don't get the hype about Mings at all. I I I, I think he's it's just not. I don't think he's a particularly good footballer, in my opinion. Um, sorry, Tyrone, if you're watching. Um, but I just don't think you're very good, mate. Um, I just see him launching the ball forward towards Watkins, and there's no. He he's, he doesn't play the ball into midfield particularly well, in my opinion. Um, the defender that I feel is, I think he's genuinely one of the best defenders in the league. Is concert. I think he's a. I think he's a really good player, really good defender, good ball-playing defender as well. And I can see, you know, dare I say, the likes of your teams coming in for the Conza during the summer. It wouldn't surprise me at all, again, if there's a, a bid for, for him. And the other one, well, actually, there's two players I can see potentially um, being um, picked up by, not necessarily going, but being challenged with a, with a bid is um, Matt Cash. I think he's... Yeah. A, a really good um, attacking fullback, and Martinez is just. Baylor. I mean, probably outside of Edison, I think he's probably been the best goalkeeper in the in the league. Charlie, he must be tough to miss that you let him go. <laughs> Absolutely, it. I was gutted. I was certainly not a massive partiality. My dad as well, and I knew we was going to get offers for him. Obviously, with Leno getting injured, he was just superb for us last year. Um, and I'd rather have let Leno go and keep him because. Even with the ball, like you say, imagine he he can play football as a, a keeper as well. Um, and another player is it Taggart you have as well? Is he one of your other fullbacks? Yeah. I like him. Um, yeah. The game he had against us the other night, he was absolutely class as well. Um, but is it, how much do you think you could get for Greenish realistically? What would the offer be where you would sort of have to consider it? Yeah, I mean, I think you'd probably the the players in the league at the moment that probably demand the most transfer fees. Probably Kane is, I would say, what well, Kane's maybe what 150 million really. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not suggesting that he's worth that myself. That's the but thing you'd be demanding, definitely. Absolutely, and I think Greenish probably falls into a bracket underneath that. So maybe 100 to 125. Um, it it wouldn't surprise me. I was saying this again to one of the lads I I work with, and he. Couldn't believe I said this, but you look at the position as to where Madrid and Barcelona are at at the moment. It wouldn't surprise me if they look at someone like Greenish. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, that you know I think Madrid were being like linked with Sancho. You know, they're, they're looking for these types of young players that are creative, and, and you know you have to say that England. Um, the, in the last four or five years, this sort of convey about of good ball playing midfielders and attacking midfielders, you know, Foden, Sterling, Greenish, Madison, Barnes, Barnes yeah, you know, um, Smith Rowe, um, you know, I've probably forgot, forgotten um, it, others, you know. I think, like you said, I think it's something I wanted to sort of bring up this episode as well as about England, sort of the. Obviously, we've got the potential of the Euros coming up very, very quickly. And I think they were touching on it the other night. I think after their Leicester game with Harvey Barnes is 
how hard is it for players like this to push into the England squad at the moment? Because Harvey Barnes has been sort of talking about it a bit as well. He's, he's been, had a really good season. But when you're going up against the likes of Grealish, Sancho, Foden, how the hell do you push into that side at the moment? Yeah, it, it reminds me, maybe not to this extent, but I mean, like, you, you boys remember sort of 10, 15 years ago when you looked at, um, you know, national teams like Brazil and France and there were players that were elite players in the Premier League. I'm just not even getting a look in into these national teams. And I think, I'm not suggesting we're anywhere near that level, but um, you're right, Charlie, there's there's only so many squad places available for, for England in the in the Euros. And, you know, there are going to be... Someone like a Madison or a Barnes or... Um, yeah, Madison completely. Bellingham. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you know, I, I used to... You mentioned England, and I, um, probably I'm one of those people that I would rather see England do well than oh, well, I'd love to see Villa do well. Don't get me wrong, but um, I used to be in the England supporters club for um, sort of about ten years, and used to travel abroad um, to watch quite a few games with Warren knows Jamie Leach as well. Um, so me and Jamie used to go go abroad quite often. Um, so I, I always like to see England do well. Um, I'm a bit worried that Southgate's approach is, will mean that we're playing three at the back. We're playing, you know, if, if we go into a tournament, we've got Calvin Phillips and Rice playing alongside each other. I think I'm just going to throw the TV out the window at that point, you know. <laughs> um, we need to realise that we've got some unbelievably talented players and really build a team around those guys and almost you know I, I don't mean to go back to like how Keegan managed Newcastle in the 90s where we'll score six if you score five you know yeah. but there is an element of that I think with England that they need to build a team that can just pose a an unbelievable attacking threat um I think the good thing is we have not we, we've now got Stones playing well at the back. Yeah. We've got, I'm not so sure about Maguire, but he is playing relatively well. You've got Gomez. I mentioned Konza. I mean, for me, Konza has to be given a go. Uh, Chris Smalling's been forgotten as well. That's the other one that staggers me. Um, you know, he has a brilliant season at Roma. Yeah. yeah I think I, I'm um, glad you sort of said that about England because obviously, I think it was when I was doing season one of this with my other co host, Adil. Um, and I was always one that said I would rather see England win the World Cup than Arsenal win the league because I'm a, I've got more into it again the last few years. Obviously, I worked at the FA for about two years, so I've sort of been yes. involved in that sort of setup around that side of things. And it's it's one of them that when England are playing well, there's nothing better watching international football. And I think the last episode conveniently we done before season two started was where sort of when we had the really bad results, I think it was against Croatia was one of them where we're sort of seeing this way you're saying about Gareth Southgate, where he's playing so negative football. He's playing two holding yeah. midfielders in uh, Phillips and Hendo. When you don't need that, you need the likes of these hacking players in the side where our talent is going forward. We know we're not the best at defending, like you said. Um, but I think in world football at the moment, uh, there's not many teams, I'll probably say France are up there, that have got an equal attack to us. But bar than that, our talent going forward, we won't get a crop of these players for a long, long time again. 
No, no, I, I agree. I mean, I um, so I sketched probably like you boys, you know, at lunchtime at work, I sort of sketch out an England team. <laughs> you know, I think my latest version was I'm pleased that Pickford's coming back because I do think he's the best ball playing goalkeeper, you know, as stupid as that sounds. Um, I think Pope's probably the best goalkeeper that we've got, but I think Pickford does offer you something with the ball at his feet. You just hope he doesn't have a ricket in him. And I think the last game again, sorry, Warren, against Liverpool, he, he did show he played very well. Um, and again, sorry, Warren, I think Trent has played himself out of the England starting eleven. Um, I personally, I think he will probably. I, I would probably go with. I mean, it's difficult because Walker suddenly disappeared. Trippier is too busy betting. And um, Reese James, James, I guess, is... I mentioned Cash earlier, but I don't think um, that will happen. So I think it'll probably be Walker, maybe. Um, If you're going with the back four, that is. So Walker, Stones, I think he'll go with Maguire. And I think Luke Shaw's probably in pole position. Uh, Although I like Saka. I do like Saka, but in a back four, probably yeah. you go with a, a Luke Shaw. Um, I'd have one holding midfielder in uh, Rice um, at the moment. I think, again, Henderson is has got a lot of experience, but I think Rice is probably playing better at, mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, and then I would just absolutely go crazy with the remaining, what, We've got five to work with, so I would just Good find enough. space for Foden, Sterling, Greedish, Madison. What have we got there? I'll say probably to do it. Yeah, I'll probably have Sterling. Madison, uh, Madison in the middle with Foden potentially. You could probably have Grealish in there. Um, is it, I think it's a hard one with Foden. Um, I think me and you, I was chatting to you was there about it, is that. I like him and I think he's probably one of the, going to be one of the best players on the planet, but is he ready to start for England at the Euros? I guess, and I appreciate I'm older than you boys, but and I, and, and I can barely remember this, but I can sort of remember it when like Gascoigne first came onto the scene yeah. with England in uh, Italia 90 and similar discussions that are not that I was probably paying any, I was about seven <laughs> at the time, paying much attention, but obviously you know, seeing since then and I think um, you know Bobby Robson was like do you know actually there comes a point where if the player's good enough you've got to find a yeah. space for him in the team and I, I, I take your point Charlie but I, I would say he's probably he, he's, he's one of the best in arguably he's probably England's best player now I, I think mm. um, or, or most certainly most complete player. I think Sterling, the way he's playing at the moment, is probably the most effective player, maybe. I think that, that's only recently, though, because Sterling, I'll say, before last week, has had a bit of a poor season compared to the last yeah. year. Um, but he just seems to find his form again just in time for the Euros. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think one other obviously, a player we sort of mentioned was Harry Kane. Um, probably hasn't had his best season, even though he's got a lot more assists this year. Um, yeah. Goals. Um, would you, is would you say as players looking at likes of Calvert Lewin etc. This year, has any of them sort of disrupted his position enough? I mean, I would, I would definitely throw Bamford into the mix now. Yeah. Like, I, I like Bamford a lot. Um, I think Calvert Lewin 
I mean, I know he's often described as a, a sort of alternative striker in that he's a bit more physical. Um, he likes kneeing Trent in the back of the head. You know, that's his approach. Um, but, he, he's a, but I think he's a very good finisher, don't get me wrong. Mm. Um, but for me, I, I would probably be looking... I think, like, Abraham has unfortunately played himself out of contention. Um We've not even mentioned Rashford, you know, um, and Greenwood as well. You know, I know Greenwood again is probably Pam Rashford is is more of a a a forward that plays out out wide. Um, But for me, I've been seriously impressed with Bamford this year. Uh, Some of the goals that he scored, those half chances, you know, a couple of the goals against Villa, uh, you you know, um, were superb. And you know, he's he's had. Um, a few like that as well in in other games. Um, you know, not mentioned Ings uh, yeah. again, great finisher. Um, there's lots of options. I mean, it's don't get me wrong, it's a hard job for Southgate to to pick this squad. It, really tough. Um, but I, I I do think, and again, it's going back to something we've mentioned in in the refereeing discussion. Use your common sense. The common sense for me says that we play a, a four at the back, a holding midfielder in there, probably then a, a, a three and a number 10 and a, um, and a striker up top. That's our strongest setup as a team. And you've got the players there to fit into that system. You know, yeah. don't, don't mess around with a, a three at the back where you've got Carl Walker playing as one of the three, in my opinion, although that did work in the, in the World Cup, in fairness. So, you know, um, but like you said, Charlie, you, we can't go into a game with, you know, particularly a game against, you know, if we've got Scotland in the group and Czech Republic, if you've got two holding midfielders in there like a, like Phillips, and I've got nothing particularly against Phillips, I don't think he's quite at that level, um, but even a Henderson and a Rice, you know, I don't necessarily think we need both of those in there. He's sort of just inviting the pressure on himself to sort of say you can come at us because we're not going to come at you. We're happy to sit here. Um, I think we need to sort, yeah. sort of where I was sort of saying at the start of the episode about confidence. If we're going at a team and we sort of show that commitment, put them on the back foot, show them what we're about. We, I think, realistically, what's the expectations for this year? Final, at least, semis? I... I, I... Yeah, maybe I'm an optimist, and like you said, if you've worked at the FA, you know, maybe you're an optimist too, Charlie. But um, uh, you know, I, I with the players we've got, and I appreciate in a, in a one-off game you can go and lose to a team like Belgium, France, Germany, Italy have got a lot better again in yeah. in the last couple of years. I think didn't they qualify? They win all their games, or they, yeah. I think well, yeah. they may have drew one. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're back again now after sort of not being in the World Cup. Completely. Um, but I, I would like to think that, you know, and, and the final and the semi-finals are, are uh, at Wembley, aren't they? Um, so, and like with the news as well, that hopefully fans are actually going to get in the yeah. stadium. You would like to think that we, we might be in a, a positive position because of that. So, you know, yeah, I agree with you. I'd like to see us get to the get to the semi-finals the Croatia game is going to be a difficult one but again they're not the team that they were a couple of years ago I didn't expect us to win that World Cup 
semi-final, really. When you look at their midfield and their strike force, it's a serious team that they had. It was, and I think going back to that World Cup, I think it was really the first one for me as a Procar, say, England fan. And I think it's, you get caught up in the hype. I think going into that game, especially for people sort of my age, it was, we've never seen that before. Uh, sort of experience yeah. that. So I think even going into this Euros, I think there's a lot more, I'll say, expectations on us. But like you there, I think if we can get to the semis, I think it's us to lose it due to the fact we'll have, have potentially the home support behind us. Um, but it's, like I said, I think we can beat any team on our day. I don't think, I think far France. If we get France, I think that'll be a very hard game due to the amount, I think even their third team could probably beat our first team. It's ridiculous the amount of talent they have at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think the good thing that we're playing Croatia first means we, we sort of have to go into that game with um, a good positive team selection, in, in my opinion, to build some momentum. And hopefully if we can, you know, not even necessarily win the game, but put in a good performance and get a draw, yeah. I would still expect us to... I mean, really, we should beat Scotland. We really should. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think everyone will be thoroughly depressed if we <laughs> don't go and beat Scotland. Um, Czech Republic, obviously, they beat us in the in the qualifier um, away. But again, I think at, at home, um, you know, we should we should have enough to beat them. But again, they've got the two guys that play at West Ham, haven't they? Those the, uh, the Suchek the, yeah. and the, yeah. Um, so they're not going to be easy to, to beat but I think yeah you're, you're right if we can build a bit of momentum it's amazing how that can continue I think into the into the tournament um, similar to how you know if you if you have a run of results that aren't positive I hate, hate to say it Warren you know but we're Liverpool at the moment um, you go on a bad run and they just can't get out of it it's it's like anything with that. It's just too many injuries for us, and we can't cope with the. Like we were talking about the other week mentality, which probably didn't help as well, and it's just completely ruining. We you look at the was it last game or was it one before that? Salah, normally that last man, it looked like he was playing right wing back. Yeah. But, in reality, you know what's going to happen to England? Eric Dyer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, do, do you know what? Yes, you're right. I um, I, I always, I always quite liked Dyer, but again, he's just he's just so inconsistent. Like yesterday, that goal, uh, the first West Ham goal. And the first thing that he's got on his mind is to turn around and start blaming um, Tanganga, you know. It's just, oh, come on, mate, take some responsibility. Um, And it it surprised me, really, because, you know, he's a guy that, um, you know, grew up in Portugal. And you look at, I mean, that's, we've not even mentioned Portugal in this discussion. I mean, well, they've got, what, Bernardo Silva. um, Well, obviously, Ronaldo. Mortinho, Neves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who else? Ruben Diaz at the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, who's the the right back at City now? As well, uh, well you got Yao Cancelo on the left. Uh, Nelson Semedo, yeah. obviously, of Wolves on the right. Uh, Bernardo Silva. Yeah. It's... yeah, it's frightening, isn't it? Jota. 
That's net. Yeah. Yeah. Net. Odd. Wolf squad. Yeah. In the well, yeah. Yeah. From the yeah, and they're wearing a, a, a tangerine kit. <laughs> a I think, like I said, there the prospect of the amount of teams going into it is it's an exciting Euros um, for a lot of lot of teams. Obviously, France will be going in World Cup holders. Squad is probably getting better. Mbappe, arguably the best player in the world now, um, so he's going to be sort of having expectations on him. Like I said, there Italy. We mentioned them. Spain. We haven't really mentioned them much. Um, a lot of youth coming through at the moment. Spain. I, mean, I think Spain always want to learn that you admire the way they play football. Um, like you said, obviously, there's the tick attacker style football. Is, yeah. It's one of them sort of growing up. I always remember when I went out there when I was like 11 playing them and we got absolutely played off the park. I think we lost like 11 nil at that level. And it's just, <laughs> you see the way they play from that age is, it's different. Yeah. And, then, and it's a game that, the, the style that they use or the style that the tick attack football that they use is so suited to international football you know um, I, I mean I, I think we've got the good thing about England is there's an identity to the team now which I, I think you're right Charlie's probably I think you touched on this earlier it's sort of been lost in the last six to nine months unfortunately yeah. um, but in the year prior to that where I'm not necessarily one needs to get too drawn into like the Nations League but when we got to the semi-final, mm. um, there was an identity that we were playing quite sort of high-tempo football. The, get, the win over Spain was a brilliant example of it, where, yeah. where we went 3-0 up in 20 minutes or wherever it was, where we were really playing quite, you know, in their faces, pressing very hard. Yeah. Um, but, you know, actually playing with some pace and, um, you know, some strong movement further up the field where... In the past, it's just been, you know, we've had, you know, the likes of Andy Carroll up front and, you know, Crouch. And it's just, you know, it's just diagonal balls all the time. It's just not effective at international level. And that's been proven by England's performances over the last um, decade, you know, prior to the uh, the last World Cup, you know. Um, but, yeah, I'm very positive going into, going into the Euros. I think we've got... As long as we don't have injuries, that's the other thing I guess to consider as well. That every country is going to be hit in some way because of COVID, I think, um, and player availability. Not necessarily because of COVID, but the longevity. Then, yeah, exactly. People are playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, all through the season. Even teams not in European football, you know. So there are going to be some injuries, I think, and having a a good rounded squad is going to be um, you know key I think for whoever wins the Euros You were saying about this, obviously Hendo I would personally start him if he's fully fit I would start him because you look what he does obviously not so much this, this year but he's barking orders all throughout that game Yeah Which, and, 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 I, and I think you're right I think so I agree with you. When I, when I said Rice being the holding midfielder, I'm sort of basing that on form at the moment. Obviously, I know he, Henderson yeah. picked up an injury. Um, I don't think you can go far wrong if you've got players that are successful. You know, the guy is captain the team that um, won the Champions League, got to a Champions League final the year before. They've gone and won the Premier League. Um, you know, he's a he's a 
player with real experience and I think you're, you're, you're right, Warren. He drives the team forward. He might not necessarily be the most talented player in the sub, but he's, you know, his passing is really underrated. He knows how to read the game of football. Um, I think that's the thing is, obviously, he may not, he knows he's not, um, I'll say, like a, the most technical player in the squad, but he knows he can read the game better than most. And that's yeah. why he's always going to outmatch some players in that pitch. Yeah, I agree, and, and I think the example is being proven in, um, uh, you know, Liverpool at the moment. It, probably the best player in the Liverpool squad, in, in my eyes, is Thiago. It, it, probably the most, the best all-round footballer in the team is Thiago. But for whatever reason, and I don't, I'm not one of these people that blames Liverpool's sort of bad form against him as a player but obviously there's a certain tempo that I think Liverpool had in the last couple of seasons that Thiago has maybe just scaled back to a degree within the team and I, th- I think that that adds to that discussion point that actually you know Henderson in the team that keeps the tempo going you know he's he's very keen to play a positive pass into you know the front front three for Liverpool when he can um, means that they're they're an effective team and I Probably you're. I think you're. You're right, Warren. If he's on form and he's fit, he's got the ability to. Hopefully, if England have got the likes of Foden, Madison, Sterling, Grealish, Sancho, Greenwood, Rashford, whoever it is, you know, you play the ball into. Oh, I'm excited thinking about it. You know, play the ball into them quickly to do their bit. Um, you know, that should be quite a positive thing for England. Who's um captain for England? Kane. Kane. Okay. And he's not, not the biggest talker, is he? Have you seen uh, the Spurs documentary on Amazon? Yeah, I knew exactly where you were going with that, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a very underrated. People don't see that sort of because he's very, I would say, not really camera shy, but he's not the most vocal on screen. But in that documentary, you see in that squad the respect they have for him. Um, and he is a big, he's a big character, I think, behind the scenes. And I think a lot of people don't see that. Um, but I can see where you're going. Obviously, I think the big one was obviously when the Sterling and Gomez incident happened. Uh, obviously, he didn't come out and say anything. It was Hendo who had to step up and say something. Um, I can see obviously why people think that. But I think Kane is Southgate's man. He trusts him. So I think every manager has a Matt go-to player. And I think that for Southgate, that is Kane. I don't... Um... Well, I don't know what his reason was for putting Kane on corners and free kicks. <laughs> that wasn't Southgate, was it? That was uh, yeah, that's Hodgson. Yeah, yeah. Was... yeah, yeah. Southgate coming after that. Yeah, I certainly would have been holding some <laughs> post mortem on Roy Hodgson after. And, and I, 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 again, I probably shouldn't. Um, I was a big fan of. I was saying for quite a period of time before he came into the role, I thought Hodgson was probably a good choice as England manager and unfortunately, uh, but I mean, you look at some of our qualifying whilst he was in post and actually the really convincing qualifying and actually England played well in a lot of those games. Yeah. Um, whatever happened, whether he overthought things going into tournaments, um, I, obviously it just didn't, it didn't work out for him. And, you know, that Iceland game, I've never seen a team implode like that before ever. Yeah, you know, it just happened to be England which was um, rather disappointing. But no, I, um, 
yeah, I, I, I've watched the documentary, Charlie, and yeah, I, Kane is a big influence in there. I think he's not only is he um, Southgate's man, I think he's Jose's man as well. Um, yeah. There's that whole bit where wasn't he speaking to Kane when he first came in and he was saying, you know, I'm a stellar manager and I want to take you to be a stellar striker. And Kane was like, yeah, I'm all for that. Um, which makes me think the current position for Tottenham means that I, I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves this summer. Obviously, it's going to take a really big bid coming in. I'm sure you'll be pleased with that as an Arsenal fan. I was going to say, that was going to be my final question. I think that sort of stuff has been, I sort of did the last few days. I think as a, a sort of, video on Twitter yesterday and it was sort of him in 2017 sort of saying if I look back in three years time and they've not won anything he's going to be disappointed and I think obviously I'm all, I'll say is I'm a very unbiased fan Tottenham have been better than us for the last four or five years um, and Kane has been a massive reason behind that but obviously getting to the Champions League final against Liverpool they haven't looked the same since I don't know if it knocked them massively in confidence um, but yeah. they got to that final and they were shocking. They didn't turn up in what capacity ever. It was probably the most boring Champions League final I've ever seen. Well, it was stupid for them to play Kane when he wasn't even probably eight, well, 70% fit. Yeah, I wouldn't even say 70. I'll probably say 60, 50%. Yeah. He was ready for that game. Yeah, and, and I think both Tottenham and Liverpool to, to a degree... Um, although Liverpool obviously went on to, to win the win the league last season, I think with Tottenham, they've when you look at their squad, aside from probably a couple of players, they've just not invested in the squad since then. Yeah. And I think the same could be said to Liverpool uh, or about Liverpool to a degree. You know, when you're in charge, you've got to kick on and you know not change the team too much, but you've got to find players that complement the way that you play, which I think Thiago could be seen as that sort of stellar yeah. signing. But I, 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 unfortunately, I don't think he he's the, the player that fits into how Liverpool have played and played successfully in the last four or five years. I think you made the point now. I think when you're on top, you have to keep being on top. I think City are a prime example when they win the league, they still go out and spend 100, 200 million investing in more competition. Uh, and I think I said it to obviously a deal who's not here this tonight, but obviously he's a massive local fan as well. And great success for you guys, like obviously winning last year, but I think you just awoken a beast in City. I think one I think you could see it in that game, obviously when you were crown champions, I think some of the players obviously were probably still hung over from partying. But when they, I think they put four or five past you, that was anger. That was you've just pissed us off now and we're going to come for your title. And you've seen it this season. Obviously, they've gone on to, I think, is it 13 in a row now, 18 in all competitions. They've hit another form that people didn't think they could achieve. We thought we saw the best of City and Pep, and he's now gone and done it again. Um, and I think we'll see more of that. I think City will carry on dominating for a long, long time. I think the rivalry will be even bigger next season when we can both have like a full fit team. Mm this year and, and gone away and it's no, no surprise really um, hopefully Liverpool will spend well seeing as what's happened they will spend a bit more next season and hopefully start challenging again but I see what you mean obviously uh, you know with City no matter what if they start going slumping down 
Yeah, here's the checkbook. Let's write some more. <laughs> but this, this season as well is, you could even say they've been without Aguero. Jesus hasn't been doing nothing. They've obviously Gundogan out of nowhere has become probably better than Aguero in front of goal for the last six weeks. But they've done it with a lot of injuries as well. Um, it's they just seem to find this second gear um, this year, especially. I think it's a, it's a testament to Pep because I don't think people have paid him enough respect the last two years. Everyone was sort of saying he was done after last season. Um, he's come back and he's just proved he is still probably the best manager in the world. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think um, he, he he's, he's he's not fortunate because he's he's proven that he's a top manager, like you say, Charlie, probably the best manager in the world. The, the teams that he's managed have obviously been <laughs> Barcelona, Bayern Munich and Man City. Um, so he has got the financial clout behind him. But the way that you see the players progress through, you know, we, I mean, we spoke about John Stones throughout, but the way that he has clearly improved as a player in the last four or five months, that, I mean, yes, part of that is, well, a lot of it is down to, to him and his commitment as a, as a professional to, to become better. But you know for a while that, um, I'm going to say Klopp then, Guardiola's behind um, that improvement. Mm. I mean, like I said there as well, obviously he has been, I was a fortunate with the clubs he's managed, but he's been around for a long time. Obviously, the likes of Barcelona was 2008 when they had the success of winning the six in a row. Yeah. You look at the managers, obviously the likes of Jose Mourinho, who was at the top, isn't really the same anymore. He's sort of been caught out. Obviously, Arsene Wenger was one of them that got caught out over time. Pep just seems to be evolving all the time into sort of make his way and tactics keep working. Um, yeah. I don't think there's many managers. Obviously, I think the top managers in the world now, obviously, are the likes of your Klops and that. But Guardiola, I think it's a testament to him to keep going the way he does. Yeah, I agree. Quite happy if he turned up at Villa. <laughs> I can't see it happening. But I think money's helped that. Money does come into it in a degree. There's no denying that. But you look at the likes of Barcelona, a lot of that was grown through the academy. Obviously, he was a player who come from La Massa as well. Obviously, don't get me wrong, he was lucky to have the likes of Iniesta, Xavi, Messi and everything, but he then went on to buy Munich, turn them into a force again. Obviously, didn't get the Champions League and I think that's something that is probably a, a great on him that he hasn't managed to win the Champions League in the world, obviously, without Bayern, without City. But there's no denying the domestic form, he's untouchable. Yeah, I, I, I could not disagree with that at all. I think it'll be interesting to see um, if he's got another move. Left. I mean, he seems very, very settled at City, actually. He, exactly. I think a lot of people said that he was sort of wanting to be done after City, but now, because he always said he wanted to be done by the time I think he was 50 in management, he didn't see it being a long-term thing. Um, but I think he sort of found a new, I'll say, new form of love for it at City. Uh, but... It'd be interesting to see if he went again, not that he has to prove himself, but, you know, whether he he went to another team um, again to to build a a squad, I guess. Mm. He's managed in Spain, Germany, England. Well, there's probably Italy is the other main league in Europe, the French league maybe, but 
you know, if you probably go beyond Monaco and PSG and Leon. Marseille, Leon, Marseille, and you know, there's not much of a challenge there to be completely honest with you. Um, there might be something at Celtic soon at this rate after <laughs> the way they've been this year, but I can't see the Scottish League appealing to him. What was that one? You broke up a little bit there. Then that PSG lost to Monaco 2 0 last night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's one of them, like, if he does take the next move, I think Italy would be the most sensible. Sort of, you could then say you complete the Grand Slam, which everyone of deems as the top four is obviously Italy, Germany, Spain and England. Um, but, but I think what you said there as well, Warren, I think money is a big thing, but you could throw any manager, I think it's sort of saying is everyone says, well, I could walk in and manage City. I don't think you could. It, it's one of them that these players... These world-class players need world-class management to get the best out of them. Um, yeah, you see the likes of it. Looking, at, I think like for us as well. Don't get me wrong. I think Mikel Arteta will become one of the top managers in the world, but at the moment he's not quite there, does he? No, I think I think you're right, and and I think um, there's. I I think that is absolutely one hundred percent correct when you talk about world-class managers need to have world-class players. Hmm. Um, there's a very good, um, if, you, if you go onto YouTube and there's various interviews that with the England players when Glenn Hoddle was manager and hmm. they were saying that Glenn Hoddle was still like the best player, even when he was sort of 39, 40 managing England. And because he was the best player, he was, even with the England team, and, and that was actually a really good side in, 98 World Cup when mm. um, when he was managing um, some of the players just couldn't um, do what he wanted them to do on the pitch um, so I think I think you're right coming up with sort of statements to say you know could Pep go manage a championship team and bring them up into the Premier League is just a non-starter because actually the players aren't there to um, sort of translate what he wants to be translated onto the pitch Unless he's uh, Jay from In Between Us, which he took Woken up to the jump. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, in five seasons, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, it's one of them that, and I think that sort of is the, the difference between the likes of, obviously, I think last year, Chris Wilder got so much respect for what he did with Sheffield United. Um, I think Chris Wilder's, a man, I think he was my manager of the year, I put him down last year for what he'd done with them. Um, but over time, this is the likes of, he went on to manage someone, say, like City. It wouldn't work. It no. simply wouldn't work. No, I agree. And, um, you, you know, again, um, like the whole Lampard situation at the moment, um, I, I, guess, I guess we probably suggested that because Pep, because you're a world-class player, it doesn't make you a world-class manager. No. No. I, I don't think... Pep, I, I might be wrong, I don't know the guy, but I'd imagine if you asked Pep, um, he would probably say, I wasn't, I don't get me wrong, he was still a brilliant player, mm. playing at Barcelona, playing for Spain, you're going to be a decent player, but he's probably not in the elite league of, you know, real top level footballers yeah. in the in the 90s. Um, and, and with Lampard at the moment, yes, he's a world-class manager, but a world-class footballer, but I think it takes time for, for that to happen. There's not many managers that have 
uh, like you say, Charlie, with, our, with Arteta, you know, I agree. I think Arteta will be one of the the, the better managers in world football within a few years. Mm. Um, but it's going to take him time. It's going to take time for that to happen. Yeah. Um, and I think Lampard was foolish, really, to go for the, the Chelsea role because we all knew if he went on a a run of you know seven or eight games where it didn't go well. Yeah, Abramovich has got a track record of making changes, and that's what happened. You know. Yeah, I think like you, you're saying there, a lot of plays you look. I think for me, some examples, a lot of them are Arsenal ones. Patrick Vieira, not had the best start to his career. I think he's been sacked from a few clubs now. Uh, most notably Thierry Henry um, went to Monaco, went disaster. I think he's now out in America again. Um, and there's a lot of talk because he at one point him becoming the Arsenal manager, but that, I can't see it happening. Um, obviously, Thierry Henry, arguably one of the best players ever in the Premier League, got into management. It doesn't work. It's I think management is one of the hardest aspects of it to get involved in. There's only, I think, certain few that have the ability of doing it. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you have to pick the right team, I think, to align with your the progression in your career. Yeah. I guess the one that springs to mind that goes slightly against that thought and is working out really well is Gerard. Yeah. Um, I mean, that Rangers appointment, I think he had a little bit of wriggle room because obviously with what happened to Rangers over the last 10 yeah. years, they weren't anticipating success probably this quick, this quickly. And, and, you know, if you manage Rangers 10, 15 years ago where, you know, finishing second is just a disaster to Celtic, whereas they probably had a bit of a buffer for two or three seasons where they established themselves again. And now, you know, Rangers are... I mean, if they're in the Premier League, I think, you know, they would certainly hold their own, in my opinion. I Um, I agree with that. Um, Yeah. In this season, I think to be... Is it 18 points? I think it's clear now. Yeah. Uh, seven, uh, Seven more points to be crowned. And I think I saw that even if they get in the game, I think they've got the old firm coming up. If they get a draw, they win the league. Yeah. Um, I think they're still flying in Europe. The other night they've done well to come back and win four. I think it's four or three in the end. There's a good yeah. game of the game. But I think that sort of comes down to the fact that what you said about Lampard. And, I think Lampard and Gerrard have always been people that's been prepared their whole career. Um, but I think it sort of goes down to, I think, I don't know if it's a respect thing as well, but Gerrard just seems to command something about that Rangers side now that, it's, it's hard. I think it sort of comes down to the fact that I think will Gerard take the next step? Because he needs to choose the next club perfectly. Because I think if he takes the next step, which I think a lot of people is obviously when Klopp goes, would be going in at Liverpool. I don't know if that's the right decision. No, and, and I think probably if if, if I was him. I would look to stay at Rangers probably for another couple of seasons. You, you can build some success because the way that they're playing at the moment and the way that Celtic are performing at the moment, um, I can't. they're going to have such a hangover going into the next season, even if Lennon does go. I mean, I'm amazing still there at Celtic. Um, but even with a new appointment, you know, they're gonna, that's going to take some time to reinvigorate Celtic. Um, so Gerard should capitalise on that, in my opinion, and win the league two or three times with, mm-hmm. with Rangers. And then, you know, he, he's built a successful platform to then maybe move to Liverpool. I don't know. But 
I think probably what you're suggesting is there's an in-between move somewhere in there. Um, I mean, it, it may even be, you know, again, the people that I work with must get fed up with me when I talk about all these different things. Um, but I thought potentially a next good move for him might be England. Um, a bit left field. I can't see him taking another... For, for, for Gerard. I would say Rangers align with the sort of Villas, yeah. Crystal Palace. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think. It's sort of like the 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 eighth to thirteenth, fourteenth teams in the Premier League. Um, I can't see him wanting to take a job within that top six mm. bracket in the Premier League because of the conflict with Liverpool. So either that leaves probably a move to maybe another European club, I don't know. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, with the players that England have got, I think England would be a great move for him for maybe, you know, um, sort of a, a tournament cycle, as they call it. Yeah, the four-year um, four period. A four-year period. You yeah. know, he'll be, what, maybe mid-40s by that point. Um, and he's got a good CV behind him then. To go and take the the Liverpool job because I agree, you know, that's obviously where he wants to to finish. That's where um, Warren probably wants him to to finish, and I'd imagine most of the other Liverpool fans do as well. I think you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, though, Warren. But for me, sort of that Gerard is your stature, is like your is an icon of your club. For me, it would have been say Henri sort of had that success as a manager where he was flying at a club, and I personally wouldn't want him to come in. Because if sort of like Lampard, where it goes so wrong, it tarnishes sort of a bit of that legacy. People, obviously, the likes of us who sort of grew up watching, obviously, the likes of Henri, et cetera, that won't. But the younger fans, et cetera, when they sort of go, oh, who's this Henri? And you say, oh, well, he's an icon, he's a legend. They're going to go, well, no, he's not. Look what he's done for us. It I, sort of takes away that specialist side of it to me. I don't think, Gerard. that's why obviously he'd be going from, well, he was under 23's manager at Liverpool and then obviously it, it progressed to Rangers. I don't think he's in any rush to go there. Mm. He, I, he wants, I, I expect he definitely wants to go there, but he wants to do it on his own time and for when he thinks he's ready to, to take that on. Because it's like anything like you just said about Lampard, he's not going to go go there, well, want to skip, uh, skip there straight away to him well, obviously doing a bad job. I know, do you know, you know yeah. I think we're saying here that Lampard done a bad job. I don't actually think he did. Um, I think he was a good manager. But at Chelsea, it's, like I said, well, then Abramovich has got that record that you have two <laughs> bad games, you're gone. Um, even if Gerard did, take it, I would like to see Lampard in the England role. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad shout. Either I, I think for England, you're, you're looking for a manager that's going to back the talent in the in the squad and, and play the right style of football and the mm. and uh, the, the formation that's going to fit the players that England have got. And um, I agree, Charlie. I don't think Lampard's necessarily a bad manager. I, you hear this stuff that you know while well, he was off the Chelsea job and you know he couldn't turn it down. Well, he could turn it down. Mm. You know, no, no one put a gun to his head to say, you must go and join Chelsea now. Um, I thought he built a good championship team in 
uh, in Derby. They were very unlucky to lose to Villa. You know, fortunately, from my perspective, Villa won that playoff final. Um, but they were unlucky. Derby had a lot of chances. Um, they could have quite easily have gone up. And, um, you know, I think he could have built a, a good, you know, initial start to his managerial career. Mm. And the problem is now he's, he's, he's tainted with a, you know, a sacking at, at, at Chelsea, even though I agree, I don't think he necessarily deserved it, but that's Chelsea's style. Whereas probably if he held out um, a little longer, there would be a Premier League club that would have come in for him, in my opinion, you know. Um, and then I, I think there are others that are approaching their managerial career more sensibly, whether it's Gerard, whether it's Rooney, um, John Terry from a Villa perspective as well. You know, obviously he's got a desire to probably become a, a, a number one at some stage, but he's quite happy to sort of sit in the background at Villa at the moment. And probably when the opportunity comes up, I mean, I know there's talk of, of Bournemouth, uh, it seems that Woodgate's got that until the end of the season now. But, um, you know, Terry's obviously biding his time to try and find the, um, the right job. He sure, sure as hell won't go for Chelsea. You know, he's... <laughs> I, I can't see Terry making that decision based on what's happened at, with, um, with Lampard. No. No, I think, I think, you know what, Terry would be a good shout for you guys as a next sort of step. Uh, he's been learning his trade there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Terry got a lot of stick as a player as well, but I think he's one that I think could command that respect as a manager. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, I mean, he's clearly been in England captain, won so many trophies with, with Chelsea. Um, quite an underrated footballer. When you talk about footballing centre-backs as well again Terry's got this reputation of just heading it and you know being the tough man at the back you know two-footed player if you go back and watch a lot of Chelsea matches from years gone by you know the guy's strong on either side mm. um you know played the ball positively into into midfield um so I, th- I think you, you're right he, he could make a very good manager whether that's a Villa or not I don't know I think you know Dean Smith being a Villa fan means that I think you have to go catastrophically wrong at Villa for him to leave any time soon. Hmm. Um, but no, I think again, and, it, and actually you probably do a whole other podcast on this. <laughs> it's great to see so many of these younger England players or English players actually having the desire to go into management, you know, particularly yeah. Rooney. I, I mean, I would never have thought Rooney no. um, would become a manager, but Again, when you listen to him speak, he's got authority about him. Again, I've not watched Derby games religiously by any stretch, but you know, I've seen some of the goals. And was it last weekend? They had some different corner routines, mm. where, which I thought yeah. was you know similar to what England took on in the last World Cup with what was it the Love Train or what? Yeah, where it was created. You know, yeah. some really good, you know, innovative thinking in terms of how they're approaching games and. I think that's really good to see that, you know, a player like Rooney's actually going into management. No, I completely agree with that. Um, I think for this episode, I think we covered more than a wide range of topics. Um, yeah, got enough content covers. there for a few topics. <laughs> but. Um, but I think that's all covers this week. And I think uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, uh, not Rob. Uh, and I think we'd definitely like to have you back on again. I think there's a lot more we can discuss in depth. 
Yeah. Uh, but I think that's all comes. Anything else you'd like to add, Waza? No, nothing. Good. Good. Uh, so I've seen Lawrence speechless. Um, obviously, top four. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. For the Premier League? Yes. Yeah. Um, do you know, I actually had a chat with my mate at work about this today as well. <laughs> um, so City to win it, probably by about 10 points as they are at the moment. I think Leicester second. I think I think they'll continue. Um, I think United third. And then I think it's a shootout between um, Liverpool, Everton and Chelsea for, for four. I don't think Villa will, um, will get in the top four. Um, no offence, Charlie, I don't think Arsenal will. <laughs> um, I'm sure you're not expecting them to now. I don't think Tottenham will either. So I think if I had to put my... I think Liverpool will get the fourth spot. I think they'll somehow put it together and and get over the line. But Chelsea are coming through strongly and, you know, Everton, they might now start to build some confidence after the the win at the weekend, but, you know, they'll go and lose to Fulham. <laughs> you know, as they, they're so inconsistent. So I, I think if Liverpool can just get a run going, I think they probably will finish second, but it's going to be tough. Mm. Completely agree on that. So I, think be, I think that's pretty much a top four I'll go with as well for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think so. Oh, and England, England, England to win the Euros. <laughs> good let's be positive about that good um, yeah I think that's enough for this week obviously thank you all for watching if you have stayed this far um, I think we might add a little sneaky little giveaway in somewhere I think I've got an idea for the giveaway for this week was I uh, I think we might put a little hidden code somewhere in the video at a certain point where they get a bonus entry to entice people to listen to this wonderful episode um, but yeah thank you obviously again for coming on Rob it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, like to have you on again soon uh but obviously next week's episode we've got another guest on not a football guest for once it's actually a boxer we got on uh, an up-and-coming boxer and mr tom jones everyone loves will be back on again so we've got a bit of a nice four on a podcast next week uh but thank you all next week and see you